You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Hello and welcome to the UI podcast on Belarus. My name is Martin Krog. I'm the head of the Russia and Eurasia Center here at the Swedish Institute for International Affairs. Um, it is my great pleasure to be joined by two experts on the developments in Belarus and Eastern Europe. Alessia Rudnik, um, PhD candidate at Karlstad University and uh, affiliate with the Center for New IDs in Minsk. We are also joined by Katarina Engberg, a uh, expert and old Eastern Europe hand uh, here in Sweden, a well-known expert uh, on the developments in Russia and Eastern Europe and uh, an affiliated expert with our institute. On August 9, uh, Belarus held presidential elections. Uh, Lukashenko won in a, an election that was clearly marred by fraud and voter intimidation. Uh, since then, there has there, we have seen uh, a rise in the protest movement. And according to the Human Rights Center Vyasna, over 10,000 people so far have been detained by the security forces in Belarus. Five deaths have officially been confirmed and dozens of people are still unaccounted for. Um, Alessia, I wanted to start uh, discussing with you the domestic situation in Belarus. Uh, If I may start from the beginning, um, did you anticipate that there would be such a strong reaction against the election results in Belarus? I think that it was clear uh, from the very beginning that the situation in Belarus is going to develop not as it does always, because we saw how people reacted on the detention of one of the potential candidates, Viktor Babarika, when he was detained after attempting to register as a candidate. So people just went to the streets to demonstrate that their anger and discontent with this kind of behavior from the side of the regime, because people did not understand that the strong leader, if Lukashenko would be a strong leader, needs to falsify election and needs to imprison everyone. Because, of course, among the political elites uh, or alternative political elites, there was an understanding that uh, falsification and election fraud is common and it's present uh, in Belarus since 1996. But it was not known among the ordinary citizens in the country. So what happened is that when the people saw that the person who was attempting to become a candidate was detained, then they decided that they will protest. And I think it started from there. And uh, this bubble became bigger and bigger with uh, the, so the, the stricter, the harsher the measures were taken by the authorities, the more people decided to protest. And I think it's not exactly about uh, the election itself. It's about the political campaign, electoral campaign in general. People wanted to see alternative candidate at least participating in the campaign. And then if they were to lose the election, I'm sure Belarusians would accept this result and not protest. But rather, we saw how people are being deprived of the right to vote, deprived of the right to see the candidate they want to see in the political, in the electoral campaign. So it's just started much earlier than the election. And uh, I cannot tell that I anticipated it because, well, I was 
I grew up in Belarus and I know how people react to election fraud and this is not something people pay attention to. So people are completely depoliticized. Citizens of Belarus don't believe in politics. They think that politics is for a very narrow group of people. They don't want to take part in any political action in uh, any form of political action, in, uh, whether it's be voting or demonstrations or some other active uh, events that are related to politics. So I believe it was very much unexpected by majority of Belarusians, but those people who worked hard for the changes, this is primarily, of course, the um, campaign of Viktor Babarika, they have anticipated it in some way because they used the instruments that were not used by the traditional opposition before. Uh, what were those instruments? Why, why, were, why was the new sort of faces of the opposition able to, to achieve success where previously they, they weren't able to mobilize? I think it's multifaceted, but first of all, it's related to the fact that the campaigners of Babarika, they did not attempt to divide population. They wanted to uh, attract voters uh, who either were not interested in politics before or who were supporting Lukashenko. Because the voters who were supporting the opposition for all those 26 years were always supporting any candidate who is not Lukashenko. I mean, any oppositional candidate who is not Lukashenko. And that's why it was not a task for them to... Um, to focus on those people. They wanted to focus on Belarusians who were hesitating about, first of all, taking part in the election, and secondly, uh, who were hesitating whether they want to vote for Lukashenko or something uh, un unidentified, something unclear that awaits them. Because when, uh, when there is a person who is in power for 26 years, it is clear that some people, who, especially of older generation, they will think about um, dangerous of changes or something like that because they don't i mean it's kind of political psychology but of course they they are hesitating to choose someone to elect someone new and this is was this was the focus of people who worked for babarika and uh, one of the instruments they used was they they wanted to use all the legal instruments existing in the country such as they were filing different um, complaints appeals regarding the detention regarding the uh, this denial of uh, registering the candidates they were using um, now after the election as well they were using the uh, instruments of uh, sort of calling back the deputy mandate from the local deputies they were using other methods, uh, media and uh, everything possible that was not used before uh, because they had a departing point of um, the departing point of uh, Babarika's campaigners was that we will pretend that this is the legal state, that everything here works according to the rule of law and it's a democracy. And when they started from this departing point, they were able to attract other people who did not believe in falsifications and uh, violations of human rights and political repressions.
That's interesting. Uh, and we, we will certainly come back to the domestic dynamics of these protests. But um, Katarina, I, I wanted to move with you together uh, to the broader European dimension uh, of these protests. Um, the US has been relatively absent. Perhaps that is not a bad thing. Um, but uh, there are two other actors outside of Belarus or on the borders of Belarus, so the EU and Russia. Uh, they have played various roles uh, so far. Um, what, in your opinion, can the European do? What, And perhaps following up, um, is there something else that the European should be doing, in your opinion? Well, I think we can see um, the European Union try to uh, sort of grow into um, a more sort of responsible role when it comes to uh, European um security um, in general um, so it's trying to shoulder a greater burden uh, and uh, it has come it has become primarily the responsibility of the European Union to formulate uh, sort of the Western uh, position on uh, what's happening in Belarus. So on the one uh, side hand, you've seen the European Union and its uh, different sort of representations in form of foreign ministers and heads of states and government say your state very clearly. Uh, they they reject the uh, election frauds that have been committed in Belarus and uh, and they condemned uh, even more forcefully, I'd say, the violence committed uh, against the opposition, sort of the human rights aspect. And I think that's the human rights aspect is sort of becoming very crucial in the way the Europeans are, are viewing and handling this situation. And they also, the European Union stated early on that they will apply sanctions on the responsible Belarusians, uh, Belarusian officials uh, responsible for violence and for fraud. Now that has been held up, uh, the decision on that matter, because of um, of Cyprus, which is digging in because, because it wants to have uh, um, clarification with regard to potential sanctions against Turkey with regard to Eastern Mediterranean. And uh, given that this has to be, uh, these uh, decisions has be to be taken by unanimity, unanimity in the European Union, uh, the issue is currently stalled. Uh, but there will be applied sanctions, and you could see a burst of, uh, of, um, uh, I wouldn't say of, uh, of not of anger, but at least of eagerness on the part of uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, in her yesterday in the speech, the State of the Union speech she gave to the European Parliament yesterday, that she said that those of you who think that we are slow uh, on applying sanctions. Uh, you should know that I think we shall move to qualified majority voting uh, on these matters. And uh, that would be a way of overcoming the, uh, the uh, sort of uh, veto powers of certain countries. You have seen this happening in, uh, with other issues with regard to human rights. Uh, certain countries, for example, in the European Union have not voted for uh, human rights resolutions in the UN because of China, Chinese pressures, etc. So the Union is trying to ramp up its instruments by considering uh, moving from unanimity to qualified majority voting, but also another interesting element in, in Ursula von der Leyen's speech yesterday was that she said, and this was in relation to Russia, because these things mesh, of course, uh, the situation in Russia and Belarus. She said that... Uh, 
um, the uh, those of you those that are advocates um, a closer relationship with Russia, I tell you that uh, the poisoning of uh, Navalny was not a one-off. This is part of a pattern, and then she mentioned uh, Skripal, Georgia, Ukraine, and the meddling in, in Western elections. And she said, now, so now we have Europeans to move to, towards the European Magnitsky, Magnitsky Act, which means that you will have a regime for applying sanctions uh, to countries and individuals in countries that commit uh, uh, offense against human rights. We will be more sort of a smooth and uh, automatic uh, way of reacting to these events. So I think Belarus in a way, and now Navalny, the poisoning of Navalny is forcing, is stimulating the Europeans to become sharper uh, in, the, um, in their policies and, and sharpening the instruments that they apply. I think that's an interesting development. Whether that will influence developments in self, themselves in, in Belarus and, and Russia, that's a different question. Thank you. You, um, you mentioned and you alluded to a little bit the, um, the Russian side here as well. And, and it's interesting that when we look at the, the Russian sort of official re reaction to the election results since August 9, there have been certain shifts over time. Uh, the first reaction was a bit uh, hesitant. Uh, Putin issued uh, or sent uh, Lukashenko a telegram, which listed, you know, it said, you know, congratulations to your success in the election. But the the biggest part uh, of the telegram actually was a list of, of uh, claims that uh, Putin wants to to pursue against Belarus on in further military security integration, economic cooperation, and integration, and. Um, uh, then for a while they they seemed even hesitant to openly support him. Uh, the state media was very quiet uh, on that respect. But uh, after a while, maybe after one or two weeks, they started shifting into pro Lukashenko mode mode very clearly. And uh, it's now obvious that Putin has decided to stick with Lukashenko. And they had a meeting recently, which of course created a lot of memes already on social media where Lukashenko had a meeting with Putin in Sochi and he uh, openly and uh, very forcefully uh, declared his loyalty to Russia and to Putin uh, as a leader, I think. Um, uh, Katarina, when we think about this relationship, um, what, what are the main interests here uh, of Russia? What can they achieve? And, and also... Um, what risks do you see when you look at this situation? Well, this is a matter for discussion, of course. <laughs> we uh, can only, I wouldn't say speculate, but uh, attempt at analyzing this. Uh, well, let me start with uh, the annexation of uh, Crimea and uh, Russian involvement in eastern Ukraine. After those events, there's been a discussion. Will Russia proceed with new... Uh, expansionist uh, moves with regard to its neighborhood and I think the general analysis has been no they have collected sort of the low-hanging fruits for the time being and it's more of a consolidation phase for Russia well that can be debated as well but if I if I quote sort of a strand of the discussion so is Belarus an unexpected low-hanging fruit for Putin and for Russia 
Well, I, don't, I think it's, um, it's a mixed bag, at least, for, for, for Putin. Of course, there's the opportunity now to integrate uh, Belarus, the way uh, uh, Moscow has pressed uh, Minsk over the years for trying to do. Uh, and Lukashenko, as we know for a while, tried to resist by balancing with some uh, connections with the West. Uh, so there's the temptation, of course, of integrating, trying now to achieve that goal. But what is it that you are integrating? Uh, is this something you can um, uh, that you can sort of absorb uh, if you were if if Moscow was successful in integrating Belarus, that Lukashenko will cave in and agree to all these demands? Uh, what is it that you are integrating? Are you integrating something that will might infect Russia itself? Uh, because even though it uh, seems uh, one may, may draw the conclusion that uh, Putin still uh, commands the uh, support of the majority of the Russian population, his popularity is, uh, is uh, shrinking for a number of reasons, economic, etc. So, uh, and we have seen the, um, uh, the opposition and the, uh, um, the demonstrations in Khabarovsk in the Far East. Uh, so although there is nothing in comparison to what's happening in Belarus, Moscow might, must feel s s uh, uncertain about the uh, state of the opposition within Russian society itself. So if Belarus is integrated, will that uh, contaminate Russia itself? That must be a consideration that the, uh, one, uh, one is making in Moscow. Uh, I think the uh, attempt will be, of course, to integrate Belarus, but if trying to sort of gradually produce uh, a diminishing opposition, sort of uh, uh, weight out uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the winter, com the coming winter, and the assumption that the opposition will uh, sort of die out, uh, and uh, providing support in, support in, in uh, Moscow's way to the regime through the state media, for example, now flying in Russian journalists to produce the programs that in state television that Belarusians uh, journalists used to do. So in various manners, support him in, in shoring up state power while hoping that opposition will dwindle. So sort of uh, it will be a more amenable Belarus that is integrating into Russia. But it must be a calculus that is very difficult for 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 Krem to do, uh, because they share Lukashenko and Putin share the same uh, basic um, problem that they do not know how to exit from power. Um, Putin has prolonged his uh, political longevity with the constitution changes to the constitution. Lukashenko is worse, of course. It's an openly authoritarian regime, but still, uh, they share the same basic existential problem. They do not know how to to uh, leave power, mm. uh, and and that's uh, in a way it's a common fate they are sharing in uh, now the leaders in Moscow and and Belarus, and that must be on Putin's mind. Although he might. Uh, they might look at this as a possible tactical gain, uh, a lo another low-hanging fruit, but what will be the fruit? Will it be rotten? Um, Alessia, I, uh, I wanted to connect this uh, Russian dimension also to what's happening inside of Belarus. Um, what has been the reaction of civil society and protests in Belarus to uh, Lukashenko's very open overtures towards Moscow?
have been very reluctant to buy this uh, attempt of Lukashenko to divide the civil society in two parts or society of Belarus in two parts because what Lukashenko has been doing for the recent months is that he's been constantly trying to highlight that there is some sort of uh, division between uh, Belarusians and where one part is willing to sort of integrate with Russia and the other, the Western Belarus, is rather more about joining the European Union in the future, etc. So this attempt has been constantly failed, failed by Lukashenko because Belarusian people just don't buy it, because there is no clash and division of the Belarusian society at all. Uh, yes, of course, there are some uh, deviations when it comes to uh, the question about integration or sort of foreign foreign um, path that Belarus should choose with uh, to align more with Russia or to align more with the European Union. But this has not been big uh, division such as in Ukraine, for example. So uh, we are talking about completely different uh, situation, but Lukashenko is trying to sell it as uh, as if it would be the same situation as in Eastern and Western Ukraine that there are some sort of more pro-Russian uh, regions and less, more pro-European regions. And uh, I believe that uh, Lukashenko is not only failing this argument, but he's actually worsening his own position, because the more he talks in this way, the, the less people believe in what he says. And that's why the Russian help that Lukashenko asked for has been perceived by the Belarusians as something that is not going to happen. If you are to ask the ordinary citizen, I talked to quite quite a few of my friends who are there, they don't believe that Russia is going to annex. And uh, even though in, the, in Sweden or in other countries, it's a very common topic uh, to discuss um, in terms of reaction from European Union that should not provoke Russia to act in some um, unpredictable or predictable way. Um, when it comes to Belarus, we're talking here about annexation or troops or something like that. Then in Belarus, it's not a question at all. People don't believe in that. They believe that this is another speculation and um, just a formal image created by Lukashenko. But we don't know um, what it's really about. The fact is that Belarusian protests are not anti-Russian at all. They are very much pro-Belarusian and anti-Lukashenko. But they have nothing to do with the Russian annexation or similar. Even though there have been some pictures posted about uh, some people in unidentified uniform with some sort of um, symbols that can relate those people to Russia, we still don't see direct involvement Although we know that there are some talks behind the curtain between Lukashenko and Putin, we don't know what they talked about on Monday. Clearly, we know about the amount of money being uh, given to Lukashenko as a credit, but we don't know what, what is the price for this credit. At the same time, there is the, while the protests are not anti-Russian, I think that there is a risk in the future if Lukashenko continues to talk about uh, close cooperation, but it, nothing will happen actually if he just continues. But if Russia continue, starts to talk about help to to Belarusian uh, regime, etc., in form of financial donations or credits or 
whatsoever. And then he will, the Belarusian population in that case will react very strongly. I don't think that we should expect any violent protest, but we might see the anti-Russian uh, uh, segment of the among the protesters or uh, anti-Russian sentiment is going to grow with this uh, public with the public statements made by the Russian officials. And uh, during the last two days, there have there've been two claims made by the Russian uh, authorities. One of them was that there was um, that US and uh, EU have been uh, financing the protests and uh, that uh, it's been prepared for quite qu quite a long time uh, so that the protest is completely financed and coordinated and uh, the Russia has Russia has suspected uh, US in trying to create the color revolution in Belarus so with such kind of statements, of course, we might expect that Belarusians will become more anti-Russian and obviously it possesses some kind of risk, but I don't see how it is becoming uh, even even little closer to Ukrainian situation, to the kind of division in civil society as it was in Ukraine. And, and it seems to me clearly um, a risk or a gamble that the Kremlin is now taking when they are openly siding with, with Lukashenko, although perhaps there could be a new election uh, in the next uh, few months, we don't know. Maybe Lukashenko will step down and they try to accommodate the situation. But I would like to, to, to keep with you, Alessia, um, in the... Um, in the domestic uh, dynamics of these protests again, because people are unrelenting. They, they refuse to stop protesting, although the repression has been quite severe indeed, and it's dangerous for many people. Um, we also see another aspect of this protest movement. Uh, three of the most well-known faces by now of the opposition, uh, Sikhanuskaya, Tsepkala, Kalesnikava, they are three powerful women, they are now the faces of the opposition. They are not necessarily self-declared leaders, but they became, uh, in at least in a way, informal leaders uh, of the opposition. Um, how should we understand this? How? Uh, what is the role of, of of women in the protests? I believe that women have uh, stepped up uh, in this protest just to, first of all, prevent some kind of political repression because there was. Uh, unspoken agreement that women are not going to suffer from political repression, especially when they go to protest and or when it comes to detentions from the offices, etc. So people did not expect uh, that women will be detained. And then authorities have come up with this new idea when they will send, kick out people from the country, have, people who have uh, Belarusian citizenship. And so far we have two cases confirmed and the third failed attempt of uh, Maria Kalesnikova. So Tikhanovska was uh, transported against her will. Then it was Volka Kovalkova who was also transported to Poland against her will in exchange for sort of freedom because otherwise she would remain in prison for many years and um, Kalesnikova just destroyed the plan of the authorities she said she's uh, going to no matter what she's going to stay in in the country because she is a citizen of this country and she's going to continue the fight 
And I think this such acts of uh, female politicians, of female activists and leaders who are actively taking the role or the first first stage, they are just inspiring for other Belarusian women because they believe in themselves and they believe that female uh, protesters have the same role in protesting. And I, I believe that it's one of the, so far, the, I don't know the statistics, but it seems like it's first time in history when female have been taking such a huge role uh, in protests uh, when it's just a political protest, not gender related or feminist protest. So female politician, female protesters have been creating uh, different kinds of uh, protests, such as solidarity chains, uh, female marches that are held now for several weeks in a row uh, since on each each uh, Saturday, and um, and th they are not only coming with new forms of protest, but they also encourage. Uh, male protesters to take more active role in protest. And uh, after authorities or the right police has started to imprison and beat female, uh, uh, female protesters, then it became even more, uh, even a bigger signal for people in Belarus to join the protest. And that's why I believe that this is not finishing in one week or two weeks. I don't believe that the protest will uh, fade out, it's more likely that with imprisonment of uh, Kalesnikova and uh, the um, uh, the case, the, the her case and case of other uh, leaders of the Coordination Council, plus to, to the fact that female protesters have started to suffer from political repression, it will all just contribute to the gro growth of the protests. And we should understand here that it's not necessarily that people continue with physical protest in such big amounts. It is enough with the protest on local level, such as students are organizing now, leaving the state union of students, or um, workers are creating their own unions and are leaving the state unions, continuing with strikes. And if this is continued, it will become a big pressure on the regime economic wise with support of the west uh, when it comes to economic pressure it will it will contribute to the fact that lukashenko will feel economic pressure and will have to uh, compromise at some point another um, aspect of the protests um, that is clearly visible uh, is the role of new symbols or new old symbols uh, for example the red-white flag of the Belarusian Republic of 1918 that is held up in as a contrast to the post-Soviet flag of Belarus chosen by Lukashenko more than 25 years ago. Um, is there a new national identity taking shape now? Is Are we observing a break with the post-Soviet Belarus and are we entering a new uh, a formation of a new Belarusian national identity? This is exactly what I think is happening now. I think Belarusian, uh, Belarusians are currently finalizing the stage of nation formation that was abrupted by the Soviet Union occupation in 1919, when, uh, when first there was this uh, independent republic with uh, these kind of symbols 
Belarusian uh, National Republic. And then we have this uh, white, red, white flag and another code of arms, which also derives from a little bit earlier from the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. But uh, still, when the Soviet Union came, then um, the nation formation was just stopped and prevented by the Soviet authorities because uh, because of the language, because of the national symbols, etc. And um, since Belarus became independent, it's, it sort of started back people started to feel Belarusians as the separate nation. There was the single uh, official language, there was the um, official symbols that were used in the beginning of 20th century. And um, it was again abrupted by Lukashenko. And now we see that after 26 years of uh, Lukashenko in power, it's now finally that the white red white flag is not causing big disputes because People who protest, they usually need some kind of symbols. They need some some uh, symbol that would bring them closer to each other. Due to these symbols, I think people are uniting because they just walking on the street, they can see each other, that we are together. Still, there is a group or part of population that are a bit having, having some kind of reservations about this symbolism because they don't... Uh, they are under the influence of um, this narrative that the flags were used when Belarus was part occupied by the by um, Nazis, Nazis, and then that these flags was used for during the, their occupation, as it was used in all the other countries occupied by them, of course. Uh, I mean that we now see not only the tolerant. Um, relation of all Belarusians, almost all Belarusians, to this kind of symbols, much less disputes than these symbols caused before. And they are obviously playing a big role in finalizing the nation formation and finally solving this dispute about the language, about the flags and about the other symbols. We are uh, nearing the end of our conversation. It's been fascinating to hear both of you and um... Uh, my guess is that this, this is a conversation that will only continue. Um, Katarina, I would I would like to to conclude uh, our talk with a sort of a historical reflection, perhaps. Um, in 1981, the independent trade union Solidarity was formed in Poland. Uh, less than a decade later, the Iron Curtain came tumbling down. Um, but the process that was started in uh, 1989. Uh, it came to an end. It, it was sort of a, as an echo that just stops after a while and peters out. Is it now coming back? Is this 1989 in a new era? Is this what we are observing? And if so, what lessons can we draw from history? Well, huge, <clears throat> huge issues here. Um, first, just talking back on the previous conversation, I think that uh, sort of the... Uh, ideal uh, scheme for Putin and Moscow would be to um, to gradually integrate functions of Belarus. We are not talking about annexation, Ukraine or wise, but some sort of a functional integration, uh, while uh, hoping that the opposition will peter out and there may be an accommodation with an alternative to Lukashenko after some sort of 
uh, uh, new elections and that would sort of calm down the situation. I think that would be the, more, the easiest way out for, for Putin. But that is, of course, a very difficult situation to achieve because you have to, <laughs> then you don't count on the uh, underlying forces of the Belarusian people uh, them itself. And, and I'm not in the position of judging the strength of this. It's very interesting to listen to Alesia. The alternative for, for Moscow to intervene militarily, which I think it will do if things completely get out of hands in Belarus for Moscow's position, would be a catastrophe for Russia itself. So this will be very interesting to watch. With regard to 1989, yes, uh, just a bit of historic perspective, uh, even uh, deeper down. I think Lenin said that Russia was the prison of the peoples, and some of them slipped out after the Russian revolutions, others were incorporated, uh, and other peoples were slipped out and were incorporated as results of, uh, of successive uh, agreements between uh, parties of the First and Second World Wars uh, in Europe. So the borders, as you know, have changed constantly in this uh, part of Europe. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, but this gradual evolution, and then as a result of uh, of developments in uh, in 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 Central and Eastern Europe that you were mentioning, Martin, but also within Russia itself, uh, eighty nine, and eventually the end of the Soviet Union uh, happened. So. Uh, uh, these these developments over time has led to that has has shrunk uh, the intermediate area between. Uh, the major Slavic Russian people and the uh, Germanic peoples and Western peoples to the West. And as we know, this has been a, a concern also for Russia itself in terms of the Western marches, uh, armies that had marched through these <laughs> territories over history. But these, these intermediate areas have shrunk and the uh, whole idea of interest spheres is sort of uh, being... Um, um, uh, invalidated by developments. So you have this increasing friction between Russia itself and, uh, and, uh, and the territories to the west of it. I mean, much, much beyond the, what we typically mean with the west, uh, now encompassing the Belarusian people. So uh, will there be another peeling off of these uh, other peoples that will slip out of the of the prison as a result of uh, of developments, current developments? I think this will be um, uh, this will be linked uh, in part to developments in Russia itself, as it has been in previous uh, phases of history, as I was alluding to some of these faces when we have seen different peoples on the borders of of, uh, of Russia slipping away and forming its own its own faith um, this is of course now much closer to Russia the core of Russia itself so I think Moscow will fight very hard uh, for not for this to happen this is not Central Asia it's not the territories that the Soviet Union gained as a result of the uh, German aggressions during the Second World War this is much more to the heart and the core of Russia itself um, so um, I'm uh, it is it is yet another phase of this long historic evolution but it's different from 1989 but it's similar in one aspect, and that will be the uh, sort of dynamics within the um, interchange between dynamics in Russia itself and, in this case, in, in Belarus. And I cannot judge that.
Alessia and Katya, uh, many thanks for this conversation. Um, uh, we uh, keep uh, hoping for the best and uh, all of our support and thoughts uh, are today with the people of Belarus. I think they have come united and it's also, uh, they have made a huge impression on the world. Um, so thank you and uh, thank you for listening. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews. Catch you later.